0: Somebody wake me, yo! What's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> Jay Soderberg, that's me. John Luckenbach, that's him. Two podcasting veterans, one from the production space and one from the outer space. And we're we're Q and A weekly news and tips in podcasting on podcasts.
1: Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Q'd Up podcast on podcasting, and it is really exciting because it's part of our narrative podcast series. Uh, And by the way, while this is two parts for now, there will probably be a third and a fourth and and maybe even a fifth part, who knows? But uh, we're going to keep you folks sitting here on two. I am joined, of course, as all, but by the way, I'm Jay Soderbergh, Vader. I'm joined as always by my co-host, John Luckenbaugh, the founder and guy who makes all of this possible of the queued up podcasting agency. Hello, John.
0: Hey, Jake. Good uh good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon. And of course, we are joined by our guest and expert on the narrative podcasting field. She is a writer and producer for Cued Up. She's getting her masters in creative writing at the University of Cambridge. She is Isabel Mongeau. Hello, Izzy.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me on again.
1: It is our pleasure. Of course, what people might know if they were listening really closely uh, one, John mentioned that it's the afternoon, uh, <laughs> so if you listen to the first episode, you might have an idea of w- we might be recording these back-to-back, uh, but uh, two, uh, these are part of our series so that John and I can enjoy the holidays, so we have pre-recording these episodes so that everyone at home will still get a podcast every Wednesday from the Queued Up podcast on podcasting, but we are taking a little break, but you don't know it. Because here we are. It's the magic of podcasting, everyone.
2: Still snowed in.
1: (laughs) Still snowed in. Still have a broken snowblower. Okay. John, we can
0: tell you already, John, that uh, Squadcast worked great for you last time. It did a lot better than last week's. So I haven't gone through and edited it yet, but just taking a look at the files, there was not much packet loss. Ooh, Let's hope we have the same luck this time.
1: Perhaps the folks at Squadcast heard our previous episode and made a note of
0: it. Uh, We're
1: not here to talk about the tech in podcasting or anything like that. We are here to talk about narrative podcasts. And as we mentioned, this is part two. So if you missed part one, uh, you don't necessarily have to go back and listen to part one before you listen to part two. You might want to. uh, So make sure that you check it out. Wherever podcasts are heard, you can find the queued up podcast on podcasting to get part one. Here in part two, we're going to be a little bit more creative and talk about some of the more creative aspects of a narrative podcast. And there's a certain structure
0: that one should probably follow, right, John? Absolutely. I'm not the expert in this. <laughs> that would be more, more Isabel's point of view, but I believe it's uh, a story arc, the exposition, a conflict, a climax, and resolution. I think there's another name for that, but I can't pronounce that.
2: Adding on to what John just said about the story arc, exposition, conflict, climax, resolution. All of those are storytelling elements. And today we're going to be talking about how they specifically relate to podcasts, how you can take storytelling tools and techniques and apply them to your podcast scripts specifically.
1: And while we're talking about these things as they apply to a narrative podcast, they actually apply extremely well to all types of podcasts, whether it's an interview podcast or roundtable. You should always be thinking of some sort of story arc that ends up having a conflict with a resolution, a beginning, a middle, and an end uh, that you're working towards in any of the types of podcasts that you're doing. It, this obviously fits a narrative podcast because it is a story. It, it, it maps Sort of It overlaps one-to-one, whereas people don't necessarily think about that when they're conducting an interview.
2: Completely agree. And I think that when you're doing an interview, that's the aim, but it's a little bit of a looser structure, whereas with the narrative podcast, you have a lot more control. Actually, you have complete control over what ends up in the podcast. So it's always good to follow, though. It's a bit tighter with a narrative podcast.
1: So where do we begin besides the beginning?
2: We should go over the elements that John mentioned and just sort of talk about how they apply to a narrative podcast and how you can either, you know, write them in your script or plan for them in your interviews. And the first being the story arc. So to think of it generally, the beginning of every story poses a question, right? So the beginning of your podcast episode or your podcast season needs to pose some sort of question. Maybe that's how did this entrepreneur get through these challenges? How did this person rise to the occasion? Or how did this person reach this goal? And it just poses a question. And throughout the whole course of the episode or the season, you are trying to answer that question, whatever that question may be. So that's a good way to sort of view a story arc in general terms, just if you want a general guideline. And then exposition. So I think exposition is the one of the more challenging parts of storytelling that you need to incorporate into your script. And this is sort of background information. Sometimes it is tempting to give a lot of background information even when it's not relevant. And that can be a bit of an info dump for the listener and that can lose people's interest. So one thing to keep in mind with exposition is only include the relevant information to tell the story. Background exposition that gives context, that gives color, it gives layers to what you are speaking about. So a good way to do exposition is have it as something that you sort of slip into the script at certain parts. I wouldn't do it all at once, and I wouldn't do it necessarily in the very, very beginning. You might want to sort of pose your story question first and then go back in and do your background information. So just something to keep in mind with exposition. Try to weave it in in an authentic way into the script when it's relevant to what you are speaking about in that moment.
0: So you can do that in the beginning, middle, and end. Well, I don't know if you want to do that at the end, but...
2: Yeah, it would be harder to do it at the end, but I would agree. You could do it in the beginning and you could do it throughout all throughout the middle. The key thing is I just wouldn't have a huge chunk of exposition all at once. It's nice to break it up according to what you're speaking on. If you introduce a new sort of character or a new person into the narrative, maybe do their exposition when you introduce them. You don't have to do everybody's exposition in the beginning. Things like that.
1: I was worried when you said that it's difficult with the big exposition is because here in the Northeast, there's this annual fall harvest fair called the Big E, and that's short for exposition. And I was like, of course, I can't pull that off. How am I going to do that?
2: (laughs) I think exposition is something that will take a little bit of time, but that just might be my personal experience. You know, every writer is different. Maybe when you go to write a script, you find exposition easy. I just think exposition is one of those areas that trips up a lot of people. And I think the key thing to just keep remembering about it, keep asking yourself, is this important? Is it important for the listeners to know it right now? You know, is it relevant? Will it, lose people's interest or will it add and just sort of examine and constantly question when you're putting in exposition not that you shouldn't put any in; you should but sometimes when you're an expert in a field you can do a huge info dump without realizing like right now i'm spending five minutes talking about exposition but uh what i mean is sometimes when you are really knowledgeable in an area you just want to say everything that you know about it. And sometimes it's harder to filter out what is actually important for the listener to know in that mm-hmm. moment. One of the best practices is just to be constantly asking yourself those questions, you know, relevancy. Is is it brief enough? Is it too long, too short, important? Does it add color? All those things.
0: That also goes back to the last episode where we were talking about how you can do nonlinear editing for your yeah. narrative podcast. So that's, that's a, another good point where you can spread this background story throughout the entire episode.
2: Yeah, completely agree. And I think it's kind of interesting that way as well.
0: And as we talked about in that previous
1: episode with you, Quentin Tarantinos, you can have that big reveal at the end of the podcast that actually ends up being exposition. You know, oh, he... He was acting this way because his mom didn't love him, but you don't find out his mom didn't love him until the end of the podcast.
2: Yeah, I think you could really use it for dramatic effect. I think sometimes people view it as a just a logistical, you know, checking the box type thing, but you can really play around with it and make it interesting. Maybe for your, you know, your teaser and your whole first act, you don't have any exposition. You just paint a situation and then in the middle of the episode you you go back and you start explaining why these things are occurring in the way that they are. And that's a really interesting plot structure as well. So you you could do it at the end, like you said, you could do it in the middle, or you could just slip it into the beginning. There's a lot of ways that you can incorporate exposition.
1: That's cool. I like that. And I think the example that I just brought up uh, does sort of highlight conflict.
2: Yes. So even in Something I just want to talk about with narrative podcasts, we mentioned it in the previous episode, you know, narrative podcasts could be made out of interviews, real life stories, real life, you know, research that you're doing. And even in these non-fiction stories, you have fictional elements of, you know, you have your protagonist. So that's whose story are you telling? Whose story are you trying to express? Whose side are we on? And then you have some antagonistic force. So that could either be another person, that could be, you know, financial obstacles, that could be logistical obstacles, that could be a corporation, it c- it could be anything. Just some force that keeps putting up challenges that your protagonist has to overcome to reach their goal.
0: Like one of our clients is doing it the the antagonist would be COVID.
2: Yes, she's telling stories about people who rose to the occasion during COVID. And like you said, the antagonist is is the disease.
1: And see, in my NFL podcast, which is not a narrative, the antagonist is Las Vegas because man, they keep stealing my money.
2: True, <laughs> <laughs> sure, though, it works that way as well. <laughs> the reason why conflict is so important and the reason why it's so important for you to set up clearly where the conflict lies is because it would be uninteresting it wouldn't be a story if your protagonist was able to reach their goal without any conflict you know the conflict overcoming adversity overcoming challenges is what makes the story so conflict yes you want to see how the story ends up but the conflict step by step is what really gives the story meat
1: climax and i will avoid making any jokes here
2: so climax is like Well, actually, when we were talking about earlier about structure, you can technically, I guess, talk about that big confrontation whenever you want. But if you're doing it towards the end of the story, this is when you are answering that question of did your protagonist, did the person whose story you're telling reach their ultimate goal, the goal that you posed at the beginning of the episode or the beginning of the season? You don't need to answer the question that they reached their goal and it was, you know, happy, and, and they, everything worked out perfectly, and that's exactly how they wanted it to go. But the listeners do need to know what happened. Like, did they reach their goal? If they didn't, why not? That sort of thing. So did they fail? Did they succeed? It's all about confronting or tackling the main problem and seeing the results of that.
1: If, if we were to liken this to the way that stories are told on television, this is the cliffhanger. This is where they say, okay, we're going to commercial.
2: No, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, this is the most dramatic, you could say, dramatic part of the whole story arc. This is where we finally get to see basically the purpose of this story. Like, why should this story be told? And that's sort of in the climax. Like, do they reach their intended place they wanted to go? Did they, you know, set up the company they wanted to set up? Did they, you know, thrive in COVID the way that they wanted to? This is why people are listening to the story, is to see that confrontation.
1: Izzy, when when I was working at ESPN, we had an interview coach who was always talking about how to make your interviews more of a story, to make sure that you're presenting exposition and you're presenting a conflict, and then ultimately you'll get to the resolution. But in your climb, if you will, to the climax you aren't just necessarily going on that straight line, building up, 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 up. You always want to be building, but you can have some dips in there. And that's what makes the story most engaging is as you're making that climb to the top of the climax, you actually have a few dips in the road.
2: Yeah, you have pitfalls. So I know this is a podcast, so visual is challenging, but it's not just like you said, like climbing a mountain, going up. It's, It's climbing up and then dropping down and going up and dropping down again, you know, you have highs and lows and pitfalls. And one of the most effective ways to have a satisfying, you know, ending to your story is to have a huge failure before you have a success. And that's actually normally what ends up happening in life anyway. So it doesn't need to be something that you're fudging. A lot of times people hit huge roadblocks or hit a dead end or rock bottom, if you will, before they start Reaching their success. Like you said, the ups and downs is what we want to see. We don't, I mean, I don't really feel as humans we want to just see people succeeding, succeeding, succeeding. We don't want to just hear about that because that's not our own experience. We all have failures. We've all had times where we've made the wrong decision or we didn't understand something or we came into something we felt like we couldn't overcome. What makes a story so compelling to people is that people end up succeeding even in the face of failure not they don't succeed because they never encounter failure they succeed because in spite of it so completely agree the ups and downs is is really what makes people connect to the interviewee and to relate to them and empathize with them
1: which is why 2021 is gonna rock because 2020 really sucked talk about <laughs> failure
2: it was no one's year, <laughs> except Amazon Prime.
1: <laughs> <They're> <laughs>
2: there the you go. One this year.
1: So as we try and tell the story, 2021 is our resolution, we hope. Yes, yeah,
2: hopefully, yes. I sort of touched on this just previously, but with the resolution, like I said, I don't think you need to have a happy ending, but you need to have a satisfying ending. And the difference for me would be... A happy ending, everything works out. It's all perfect, rosy, whatever. But that's not always how life works out, you know? And a satisfying ending is when that story question, when you finally answer the story question that you posed at the beginning of the episode. Now, it's slightly different from the climax because the climax is like that final confrontation of that question. And the resolution is sort of the answer. If this makes sense, it's sort of where the pieces fall. What are the results of that confrontation? So some people will have wins. Some people will have losses. I don't think you have to force a happy ending if it's not a happy ending. In reality, if you're writing off of real life experiences. But it does need to be satisfying in that it satisfies that goal. So even if someone fails to reach their goal, you're still answering the question of like, did they reach it or not?
0: So, Isabel, when I was doing my research on the structure of of a, pod, of a narrative podcast, I kept seeing a different word for resolution. It starts with a D. It's hard for me to pronounce. Denouement.
2: How is that spelled?
0: D-E-N-O-U-E-M-E-N-T.
2: Yeah, the final part. It's like the final act. Okay. Sort of the more specific definition of that versus just the word resolution is that it's like when all of the plot strands come together and everything is either explained or resolved in some way. So like I was saying with the resolution, you don't need a happy ending, but it's that in that explanation. You need to at least explain what ends up happening. It doesn't need to be perfect, but it will be satisfying if people finally have that answer that they've that they're looking for for over the course of the whole episode or of the season
1: and to give an example from a non-podcast standpoint one of my favorite movies of all time is the empire strikes back go figure my name is pod vader but uh there's no happy ending at the end of that movie although there's hope presented but the good guys lost and uh it's probably one of the reasons why it's my favorite movie the good guys lost (laughs) no that's not i always root for the good guys but that's that's an example of how they did not force a happy ending there.
2: No, and even like if you're looking at a miniseries or something, Chernobyl, an incredibly intense and graphic, destructive, you know, story that has occurred, we still get our ending. We still get a satisfying ending, even though there was so much loss and pain and death, we still get an ending because we learn. Sort of the point of that story. We learn what ends up happening to all those people, how they managed that crisis. And though all those people died, how they managed to still save millions and millions of lives that were, you know, at risk. And because that story is so dark, you would think you would want a particularly uplifting ending. But we don't get necessarily an uplifting ending. We get an ending that shows the strength of. Humanity like that is satisfying in itself, showing people rising to the occasion, people meeting challenges in, in the face of, you know, uh, politics and lack of resources and lack of information.
1: I think that's why we know when we've seen a bad movie or a bad TV shows, usually the ones that don't have an ending or they leave you hanging and there's no there isn't going to be another episode the next time around. So it's uh, very unsatisfying.
2: Yeah, not even a hint, because that's another thing I think you can do as well. If you are somebody where there's not this huge, big, dramatic, cinematic ending, even a hint that things are changing or something has changed or a hint at growth or a hint at people coming together or breaking apart, that hint is satisfying because we know that something has changed or will change.
1: So you mentioned people. Are are these the characters of our story?
2: Yes. Even in nonfiction stories, every person sort of does. It's It sounds say, but they do fulfill a role. They fulfill a function the way characters do in fiction. And like I said before, it could be as simple as your protagonist is the person whose story you're telling. Your antagonist is the force, the person, the corporation, what have you, that is trying to block them from reaching their goals. So you could just have a simple, though you know, those two roles, those two type of characters. You can also have other types of characters. You can have, you know, the partner of your protagonist, somebody who helps them, somebody who hurts them. You can have people who reach out. You can have people who hinder. Every person has a role. The difficulty with nonfiction sometimes is that you have multiple people fulfilling the same role. And sometimes that becomes redundant. And unlike fiction, in fiction, you could just eliminate. It sounds terrible. In fiction, you can just combine or eliminate those characters. But in, in reality, those people, you know, exist. So that comes down to the storyteller's opinion, what you would want to do with that. So maybe you choose to not include them on that podcast episode, but you include them in a different episode where you can paint them more in a more well-rounded light. So characters are important. It's important to think what function or what role each person is fulfilling in the story.
1: Uh, I'm clearly here for the comic relief.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what you guys think about that, if, if you have thoughts on that.
1: No, I agree. I think it's pretty clear that even, again, even in a non-narrative podcast, there are characters that have roles to fill. You have a host and a co-host. Their strengths, you know, the best co-hosts are ones where their strengths uh, match together. So one's weaknesses is another one's strengths. So that they can play off of that and they can, they can fit that in. One of the podcasts that I worked on early on uh, at ESPN was The Fantasy Focus. And our expert wanted to be the bus driver or the host of the show, sort of doing all of the uh, things you need to do in welcoming in an audience and driving the conversation when it was pretty clear early on that the co-host should be the host and the expert should be sitting in the expert seat and let the co-host bring the conversation to him rather than to him bringing the conversation to himself and then answering his own questions and then the co-host chimed in. The co-host was just as much of an expert as the as our expert, it was just a matter of how are we going to really highlight whose role is what? And once again, I was the comic relief on that show too.
2: That reminds me of, there is a podcast I listen to. It's a discussion type round table called Happier. It's with Gretchen Rubin and her sister, whose name is escaping me right now, which is terrible, but, and her sister, they're two sisters and Gretchen, who is, you could say the host, is a expert on habits and methods and systems that can make your lives easier. And her sister is, she is the comic relief. She's like the funnier one, but she's also somebody who's trying out these habits for the first time. So Gretchen is giving us her expertise and she is giving us advice. And her sister is the one who is a stand in for the audience in a way. And sometimes she'll say, I tried that last week, but I didn't like it, you know, (laughs) Or, or she will say, oh, I need to do that. Or this did work for me or it didn't. Or she will even ask Gretchen, what do you mean by that? So she is a stand in for the audience. And she's sort of the more relatable to the audience of the two. And then Gretchen is sort of the source of expertise and advice. And they have a very good balance. And because they're sisters, they have this sort of natural chemistry to them because they've been talking to each other their whole lives. So that if you're looking to try to figure out roles in nonfiction or even non-narrative podcasts, that's a good example where their roles are clearly defined and it works out really well.
1: Yeah, I think John is definitely the audience
0: stand in in this regard, but you don't look anything like my sister, John. (laughs) (laughs) I've listened to a couple of those episodes, the the happier episodes, and I I mean I've enjoyed them. Yeah, I like the way they do their storytelling on on there.
2: I agree. I think that's a, that's a really good um, example of. It's not necessarily a strict narrative podcast. I would say it's more discussion based, but they have some narrative techniques in there that work really well.
1: Right, conversational dialogue. I would suppose that's exactly what we've been having right now.
2: Again, just referencing the the first part to this, when you, you know, reading your script out loud, it's really important to, to pick words that and vocabulary that works well when listening to it instead of just reading it. Some words are just too long or just don't sound good. They don't sound appealing to the listener. I wouldn't include those. So just reading the script out loud and trying to go for a more, I would say, I would suggest telling the story the way you would to a friend, but in a more structured edited way, as opposed to writing a very dense analytical essay.
1: Even in the use of jargon in in a podcast, sometimes it's necessary, but when people start talking about their SMB 56s or whatever it is that, you know, that's the sort of stuff that makes me immediately tune out. Uh, And just in case you don't know, that's a microphone that I might have made up. It's one of those things where you definitely want to try and, and, speak as conversationally as you possibly can with a person. There will be times when you're going to need to use words, because those are the words that are actually used to describe what it is that you're talking about. But even then, if it's a word that isn't necessarily commonly known, you can then take the time to explain it and then explain it in human words. Another good example of this is, uh, again, when I was working at ESPN and had to talk to the engineers. Audio engineers are very famous for not being able to speak English, even though every word that comes out of their mouth is English.
2: Completely agree. I was thinking that's a really good point that you brought up because I just wanted to say real quick that it's important to use the vocabulary that that industry uses to describe certain things for the portion of your audience that's listening to you that is familiar with the industry that you're discussing. However, it's also important to describe what that vocabulary means and to try not to go too into the nitty gritty, like too, too detailed, like you were saying about the exact, I don't know, microphone models or whatever, just so that you can still appeal to a wider audience. You do want to appeal to both. And obviously, some podcasts will appeal to more inside the industry versus outside the industry. But I think there's nothing wrong with using those words, just to also give yourself authority as a host or a co host, but then also to explain it.
0: And you did a good job of that. One of our previous episodes when you stopped me and, and explained to the listener what the difference between like a download and a listen is because we use them interchangeably. Well, and
1: we as podcasters have taken it to the extreme because the word podcast can be used in about five or seven different ways and all mean something completely different when we say podcast. Excellent. Well, once again, Izzy, I believe we're walking away from this episode a little bit smarter. And those that listen to me are coming away a little bit dumber, but that's okay.
2: (laughs) Thank you for having me.
1: Izzy, if, if people want to get in touch with you to, for them, you know, for assistance in a narrative style podcast, how would they do that?
2: So you can contact me through queued up and I'll have John give you that information. But if you want to contact me directly, I have my Gmail account, which is Writer at gmail.com and Isabel is spelled I-S-A-B-E-L-L-E m and then writer at gmail.com so if you want to contact me directly you can do so or if you want to contact QDUP, up that's also a good route
0: john what is that information the website is qd up.com and the email is info at dot up.com we also have a linkedin page that you can contact us through awesome and i could probably help you with an air of podcast, but i'll
1: probably point you right back to the queued up folks. But if you do need any assistance in podcasting, I am at the real pod Vader on Twitter. My DMs are open, so I'm very easy to reach. I'm also on LinkedIn, just search Pod Vader again. Very easy to find. NextfanUp at gmail.com is my email if you prefer to do that. That's for my NFL podcast, where I'm less of the comic relief on that particular show. I I'll throw in a few every now and then, but yeah you know, I'm not the I'm not the heavy hitter on that one.
2: There you go. Your role changes.
1: Mm, Look at that. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks, Izzy. Thanks, John, everybody out there. I hope you've had a happy holiday or having a happy holiday. And we'll talk again next week on the queued up podcast on podcasting. There you have it.